Well, let's take our Bibles, please, at this time, turn to the epistle of First Thessalonians and the fourth chapter, First Thessalonians chapter 4. I was teaching in my 930 Bible class recently and addressed something, and it kind of sparked a thought. And um, you add to that the fact it's an election year, a big one, and you, you throw into the mixture uh, what goes on in homes domestically. And, and, and I've got a message that I'd like to bring. Now, those three things don't seem to come together, but they will. By way of background here in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we have a church in, in, a, in a town called Thessalonica back in the first century. Paul started it, but he didn't stay there very long. They got run out of town, him and his team. It was a tough town. They, they persecuted Paul and company, and, and so he was only there for a few weeks, which is amazing to me to think somebody could come into a town, start a church in that short of a time, but he did. God was in it. And Paul here is writing back to a church that actually was under heavy persecution. He's encouraging them. He's, he's kind of saying, keep on keeping on, but at the same time, he's admonishing them. And, and warning them about some things that the devil would love to have sift into that church. Very same things that we need to watch here in the 21st century. So as we pick it up in 1 Thessalonians 4, let's start in verse 1 and read down to verse 11. Verse 11 be in my text. He said to them, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel or body in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren that are in all Macedonia, but we beseech or beg you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Now watch verse 11. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Notice those words. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business. Own business. I've underlined those two words in my Bible and I'd like to deal with them tonight as we talk about overstepping your boundaries, overstepping your jurisdiction or your boundaries. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we ask you now to teach us from your word today. We just pray now that that which we hear would be helpful, but more importantly, we'd put it to practice. And Father, we as a church need what they needed at Thessalonica, and that is unity, and we need your power, Lord, both of which we cannot have unless we put this to practice. So help us to listen carefully, and we'll thank you for it. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God is the, the originator of, of every, everything, obviously, and, and that which we go by will spawn in his mind. As we look at the universe and we narrow it down to the earth, we find that there are three institutions. 
The first being the home or the family. The second being government. The third being the New Testament church. And I give them in the order that God gave them to us. Now, as we look at the family, we know where that started. Obviously, Adam and Eve in Genesis and the early chapters there. And we find that the family is very important. Obviously, God gives much instruction on it throughout the Bible. And from Genesis on, he's instructing on what the home ought to be, what the family ought to be. He gets into the Pentateuch, and we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he tells us how it's supposed to run. And right up onto the end of the Bible, we see the home. Secondly, we see government. And we find government set up. Uh, in Genesis as well, but but more importantly, kind of propped up and undergirded in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and, and especially in the nation of Israel, we find a model of how God wants government to function. The third institution, obviously, comes into the New Testament, and that is that which the Lord started during His earthly ministry, the church. He said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, upon this rock, speaking of Himself, I will build my church, He said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, he promised it perpetuity. It would always be around. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. It would always be there until he comes back again, and so we know it's still in existence today. So we find these three institutions. Now, within these three institutions, we find leadership. We find within the home, obviously, dad being the leader, and then mom, and, and then the children following. Within the government, we, we have a, uh, a system of government, that may include a king or a president or a prime minister, and then under him or her some other leaders, and there's governmental leadership. Then there's leadership within the church, and we find that laid out in Ephesians chapter 4 and Hebrews 13 and in other places. Now, here's the key. These three institutions are to work in harmony, and they need to be careful about staying out of each other's jurisdiction or overstepping their boundaries. For example... The, uh, the government is something that we as a church ought to recognize. Yet the government needs to be careful not to overstep its boundaries and stick its, its nose into the New Testament church. I explained to my 930 Bible class this past weekend, or the one before I think it was, uh, about the separation of church and state. You know, that's, that gets used a lot these days, that expression. And, and they say, well, the Constitution says there, there ought to be the separation of church and state. Well, the Constitution doesn't say anything like that. The Constitution basically says that government shall pass no law that infringes upon the right of churches. And that's where it stops. The expression church and state, uh, separation of church and state is not even found in the Constitution. It's actually an expression that was taken from a letter written by Thomas Jefferson to a Baptist church, the Danbury Baptists, uh, who were concerned that the government was starting to overstep its boundaries. The very reason this country was started was by freedom-loving people, Christ-honoring, God-fearing people who came to this country because they were sick of the government of England infringing upon the rights of the Christians over there. So they came over here for religious freedom. And what we have as a nation, we can thank God for because basically it was founded by people who wanted what we have here, freedom to do what we're doing right now. But getting back to what Jefferson was trying to state with those Danbury Baptists, he was trying to assure them that there is a wall between the the church and the state that keeps the state from sticking its nose into the church's business. But we've gone to seed on that. Today, you know, guys like me as preachers can't even endorse a uh, political candidate. And there are certain things. You'll lose your, your tax-exempt status and so on if you do this and that. And, uh, and they've really 
they, they've really gotten confused on that whole matter. Now, we could talk about the home, the church, the state, and, and the point of it is all, it all comes down to jurisdiction. The key is, what is our jurisdiction as a church? Uh, what is your jurisdiction as a home? What is the government's jurisdiction as a government? And, and honestly, as a church, as Christian people, we ought to recognize the government. There are some who, who uh, are continually protesting, some who don't pay tax or say they shouldn't pay tax. But Jesus clearly said to render unto Caesar the things that be Caesar's, right? And he makes it very clear that he recognized government and even the paying of taxes. And there are things that we enjoy as a people because we pay taxes. We enjoy the roads that we, we use. We enjoy the police protection. We enjoy a standing military and a lot of other things as a result of those taxes that we pay. And In fact, when Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate in John chapter 19, Pilate said, don't you know who I am? And don't you know the power I wield and, and that I have the power to crucify you or to release you? And remember what Jesus said? He said, thou, hast, thou would have no power at all except it were given thee by my heavenly Father. And what he was saying there is, yes, I recognize your authority. But there is one greater than you who gave you that authority. So the point is, Jesus recognized governmental authority. He understood that. He honored that. And he didn't meddle and he taught us in the same hand here, I guess, to be careful about overstepping our boundaries and getting into somebody else's jurisdiction. Now notice, I could, I could point out a lot of things from our text here, but I just want to use verse 11 as a springboard. Paul tells Christian people that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. Own business. In other words, what's your business and not somebody else's business? And as we look at this business of overstepping our boundaries, we see, first of all, what I call the considerable assent. This considerable assent. All authority comes from God. If we had time, we'd go to Romans 13. We would see that there is no power except those powers that be of God. God has ordained those powers. It's talking about government. It's talking about a police force. Talk about the mayor, the governor, the senator, whatever it might be. And that we're to recognize that that authority comes from God. I'll be uh, fishing up in Canada here in the near future. And when we come up to the border, they're going to ask to see a passport. I've got to show them that. They're going to tell me how many fish I can catch up there. They're going to tell me how many fish I can eat up there. They're going to tell me what kind of a camping permit I'm going to have, and, and on and on. And you and I could say, well, they don't have any right. Yeah, they do. God gave them that right. I need to submit to that authority. Now, I won't have you turn there, but as a nation ourselves, I believe that we set up our government based on something that the Bible teaches back here in, in Isaiah 33. And I'll just quote it to you. But in verse 22, it says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Did you notice those three branches of government mentioned there? First of all, it says, For the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial system we have. That's the Supreme Court. But not just the Supreme Court. I believe that our founding fathers recognized that they needed to do something that Moses did and, and delegate and, and, and kind of fan it out here. And so we have district judges and federal judges and, and state judges and so on and so forth. And if a, if a case is, is too complicated, like in Moses' days, they bring it right to the top. 
And so we have here, first of all, the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial system, the Supreme Court and such. Secondly, the Lord is our lawgiver. That's the legislative branch. That would be Congress, and that would be, of course, Senate and so on. And, and that would trickle right down to even local officials. The Lord is our lawgiver. The third says the Lord is our king. That's the executive branch. We would call that person the president in this country. Now, as a nation, we didn't set up a dictatorship here, and and we don't have government here like they had in Russia. Uh, We don't have government here like they even had in Babylon or Greece or Rome or other countries that have failed in the past. I believe we have something that's very unique and something that was set up on a biblical standard, and we find it right here in Isaiah 33. And that's why people are are flocking, or at least trying to get into this country, and and folks who've lived somewhere else and come here, they get that what-a-country mentality. And it really is amazing. What we have here is truly amazing, but we can thank God for that. It is a wonderful thing when it comes to these institutions and this authority if it's done God's way. And so what goes for the government goes for the home. If we do it God's way, it's wonderful. If we don't, it's chaos. It goes for the local church. And by the way, (laughs) there are a lot of things that call themselves a church out there that don't line up with a Bible New Testament church. The devil's been very busy, obviously. But if we do it God's way, it's a wonderful thing. So God designed all these things. Now, let's talk about overstepping our boundaries. When it comes to these three, the first question is, uh, who's the head or the authority of the government? Who's the head of the home? Who's the head of this institution? They all have authority. And, And whether it's the dad in the home, whether it's the preacher in the church, whether it's the president, there's always going to be leadership. There's always going to be fellowship. Any businessman here would understand that. If you didn't have leadership in your organization and fellowship, it'd be chaos, right? It would be a mess. You wouldn't like that. And, and so we all need to know our limits because somebody's in charge. And sometimes it's not who you think it is. In fact, I heard a story about a governor of a state who was running for re-election. He was holding this rally in a park. They were having a picnic. And he was going through the line, receiving his food. And he came to the lady passing out chicken. And she gave him one little wing. And he said, is that all I get? She said, I'm supposed to just give out one piece of meat to everybody. And he said, but I'm the governor. And she said, but I'm the chicken passer outer. And at that moment, she outranked him. (laughs) And, And so there's always going to be somebody in charge. We had a softball game here recently as a church, and the first thing we did is uh, say, okay, you're a captain, you're a captain. We need two teams, we need two leaders. Let's go from there. And, And from there, those leaders pick who bats in what order and plays what position. There's just got to be that, or there's going to be chaos. Now, look back in Genesis chapter 18. As we look at the family, for example, we find out that there is to be a leader within that family, and that is the dad. Now, I as a pastor need to be careful about usurping any authority within a home because that authority belongs to that dad. It's not a church matter. It's a domestic matter. And within that home, that dad needs to be careful about not giving his authority away to anyone else. You know, the the plight of this, the blight of this country is a child-run home in this day and age. And, and, And you see it all over the place. And even in Christian homes. They don't realize it, but those homes are being really run by the children. If the child says, well, I don't like going to church. I don't want to go to church. Mom and dad, oh, they capitulate. Okay, okay, we won't go to church. That's a child-run home. See what I'm saying? 
Dad, you are the leader in your home. We find that pattern all over the Bible. We find it here in Genesis chapter 18. Notice as God's talking about Abraham in verse 19, he says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Now notice he says, I know him. I know what he's like. I know his character. What did he know about him? Well, goes on that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. So mom and dad, are you commanding your household after you, or do you have a child run home? God help you if you do. You're not doing your kids any favor. Now, Dad, you're to command your household after you. And of all the things God could have said about Abraham, he said, I know him. What, that he'll tithe? No. That he'll witness? No. That he'll uh, pray? No. I know him that he'll command his children after him, and they'll keep the way of the Lord. So, Dad, you are to command your household after you as you follow Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you're King Kong and you go around, you know, beating your chest and flexing your muscles and, and uh, pulling, pulling your weight. No, you're a servant leader, and I'm a servant leader. That's our responsibility. But uh, wives, you're to follow your husbands and kids. You're to follow uh, mom and dad, and you're not going to always like what they decide. That's not your business. You start deciding what's best for the home, and you're not the leader. You're out of your boundary. You're out of your jurisdiction. You're an armchair dad or an armchair mom. By the way, ladies, if, if you start second-guessing your husband, you become an armchair husband. You, you say, well, he gets to make the calls. Well, it's not as fun as it looks sometimes. With those privileges come responsibilities, and it's not always fun. And so you encourage him as much as you can, and dad, you be as proactive as, as possible. I mean, don't wait for it to happen. Be watching for it before it happens. Be proactive. And ladies, reinforce those unpopular decisions. He's going to have to make them. And and don't be a second guesser. And don't be out of your jurisdiction. You know, we could take this into the government. We could take this into the church. I would dare say all, all, uh, most of all problems, over half at least, are, are because people are out of their jurisdiction in these three institutions. When there's problems within a church, at least half the time, somebody is out of their jurisdiction. They're second-guessing, they're, they're complaining, they're not agreeing with how it ought to be done. Uh, same thing goes with businesses, same thing goes with, with government. You know, when in matters of government, you know what we're supposed to do? I mean, we're supposed to basically vote, and then we are to, as much as possible, try and be a moral compass for this country wherever we can. But it, it's, it's not our place to go into an abortion clinic with a gun and, and kill, kill doctors, things like that. That's, that's not our calling from God. All right? I'm not to try and run the country. I have been given responsibility as a pastor in Hebrews 13 to oversee this church and not another church. By the way, when we cooperate with other churches in teen camp, junior camp, family camp, they're in charge. We are the guests. So I don't go in there and, and try and tell them how it ought to be done. And, and I take input from members here all the time. I got a, an email just yesterday from a dear lady in the church and had an idea. And, of course, I, I hear that out. But the buck stops here, plain and simple. And it just has to be that way. If you're a dad, the buck stops there. If you're a business owner, same thing for you. So we see, first of all, this considerable assent. Secondly, let's talk about this cooperative attitude. This cooperative attitude. Each 
institution assists the other of these three. And each institution influences the other three without interfering. There's a fine line here when it comes to influencing the other institutions, whether it's this church influencing a home or, or the government influencing your home, such as it might be. And, and we really need wisdom. We need appropriateness. Let me just say, a nation needs a New Testament church. There's no question about that. They don't think they do, but they definitely need a moral compass in this land. They need pulpits like this. They need preachers. They need prophets, if you will, back in the Old Testament. I find it an amazing thing how the prophets would show up and, and, and be a moral compass for the king. And that's a scriptural thing there. Churches also need government. The way you got to church today on 23rd Avenue is the result of, of our, our local officials building a street. We need uh, government, especially in this area, with, with floods to organize and, and get the place protected. We, we need our freedoms protected from terrorists and other things. And so I'll gladly pay taxes to support an army and, and these other things. Uh, we have a government that incarcerates uh, lawbreakers and keeps records and, and oversees foreign policy and, and so on, and they're supposed to do those things. That's fine. Nothing unscriptural about that. But when they overstep that boundary, when they cross over and they tell you how you ought to be educating your children, we've had that happen in this very state, they tell you how you should discipline your children, and boy, that's a hot button today. When they take uh, your tax money and they, they fund perverted art, and I could stand here and, and talk for a long time about some of the ungodly, unscriptural things that they have funded art with, with the National Endowment of, of the Arts, like a, a crucifix in a jar of urine, like uh, pictures of, of depicting Christ and homosexual acts and so on, and, and your, your tax dollars pay for that. And, of course, I could stand here and I could talk about that a long time, but that, that is the government out of control. That's the government spending your money on things they shouldn't be spending your money on. Uh, funding abortion, for example, handing out condoms in public schools and telling kids, okay, go for it, but just be careful. Wear the, you know, and so, they're way out of line, way out of line there. And uh, that's not what God set them up to do. It's insane. It really is. One institution should never undermine another. I'll say it again. One institution should never undermine another. Now, as the pastor of this church, I'm, 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 I'm happy to counsel when you come to me. I'm not going to, uh, you know, solicit it. I'm not going to uh, drag your kids in and, and uh, call them in on the carpet. But if you want uh, some counseling, if you want me to counsel with your children, I will. But I will never undermine your authority. See what I'm saying there? One institution should never undermine another. The church should not undermine your home. And we should not put a question mark over it. We should reinforce it. You know when Absalom rebelled against his dad, which was a domestic issue, it was a family affair, he ran to another rebel. I think it was the king of Gerar. And, and there I believe he got sympathy for his, his actions. I never give sympathy to rebels. I never counsel contrary to authority. Oh, I've seen it done many times. I would not do that. Um, I've seen one church member counseling another church member contrary to what they knew was right as far as this church is concerned. I'll never forget years ago, in the very first church building, there was one gal there, and she was going around, she was doing damage, and I walked into this room, and just kind of unexpectedly, she was talking to another lady in the church, dear lady who's still in this church, and uh, a new convert at that time, but it, it looked like the... the uh, 
the cat who swallowed the canary, it was like, oh, wow, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. And she looked so guilty. She was undermining me. Uh, we've, we've had to get rid of people in leadership positions in this church in the past who have been undermining authority. It, it, it's divisive. And uh, this church will not stand if that stuff goes on. I will never undermine authority. There was a, a young lady who, uh, who, who, who took a, a liking to another young man in this church recently. And, and uh, the first thing I did, because the parents are out of town, is I called one of the parents and I said, well, here's, here's what's happening, here's what's going on, just so you know, this is what the young man's like, because you don't know him, but uh, you know your daughter. And so I explained it to her, but I would never go around parents, never. You know, in our Bible college here, we have parents back home. We have pastors back home of students. And we have vowed to work with them because we don't want to undermine anyone back home. We'd be shooting ourselves in the foot. We want to have a cooperative attitude. It doesn't matter what level you take that to. If it's a missionary in Russia like we have here, we've got to cooperate with them. And they have certain restrictions and guidelines on, on passports and visas and green cards and all that kind of stuff. And so we go by the book. Uh, we heard from Africa here just a moment ago. We've got a, a missionary to Africa. His home here, stateside for a while, because his time has expired that he can be there. And, and so that's what they teach and that's what we've got to go by. Well, I'm, I'm just saying we work together. There's a cooperative attitude, and we don't overstep our boundaries or get out of our jurisdiction. Cooperative attitude, but thirdly, let's talk about counterproductive actions. Counterproductive actions when it comes to this subject. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, if you would. Colossians chapter 4. Satan loves to confuse, and uh, he likes to erase the lines between these institutions. He likes to cloud the issue. And uh, I'll give you an example. Right now, um, and, and it's been going on for a while, but there are some who are, are into home churches. Home churches. They, in other words, they've confused the family with the church and meshed them into one. Now we have two institutions <laughs> instead of three. And they, they say, well, we have a home church because you find home churches in the Bible. Well, here's the confusion. Here's just an example. Colossians 4 In verse number 14, Paul writes to uh, the church at Colossae, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Those were two men who were with them. He said in verse 15, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. And you go, oh, okay, sounds like a church, like a home church, sounds like uh, just a family where dad's the pastor. No, that's not it at all. Nymphus was the pastor. The church in his house was made up of people from different families like you. They didn't have buildings in the first century. They were meeting in houses at that time. They even met uh, at Solomon's porch in the book of Acts. They would meet out in a field. But the church is not the building. The church is the ecclesia, the assembly of called out people coming together. And so when these folks in the first century were meeting in houses... That doesn't mean it was a family or a a home-slash-church. It was the church meeting in a house. In the early days of this church, we had a small enough church to meet in one house or or basically something the size of a house. And yet there are those who teach, well, this is a home church. We have a home church. Well, is there any such thing as a home government? You say, well, no, that's silly. That's ridiculous. There couldn't be a home government. Well, neither can there be a home church. There are three separate institutions. The church is a separate institution from the home. 
The word church is found 114 times in the New Testament. It's always referring to a local church with officials, with a pastor, with a congregation, so on and so forth. Now, the home needs a church. It needs uh, those church leaders. And in the same way, obviously, uh, a church needs homes. We, we are made up of families. I would never move, by the way, where there's not a good church or one within driving distance. You say, well, we'll just be our own church here. You're totally unscriptural. You cross the line there. You're out of your jurisdiction. See what I'm saying? And there's going to be confusion and chaos. And when a, when a crisis arises, you'll be glad you have a church. And when a crisis arises within a home or whatever, you'll be glad for that assistance and work together with that church. You know, there's something today also called the integrated church movement. And it's basically that family being so tight that they come together and, and within a church they, uh, they just stick together all the time and never split up and they don't have any segregated classes according to uh, their age and so on and so forth. And the mindset here is, well, we're, we're losing our kids. Well, every age has had that. And we have fractured families. Every age has had that. And so they say, we don't want any segregated activities within the church. Well, let me just say, there are churches that have gone to seed on this. We understand that. There are churches that have the, the Messiah mentality. In other words, give us your kids and, and we'll save them. And, and they kind of rip them away from the family and, and uh, actually they've crossed the line now. They're out of the jurisdiction. We don't have that mentality here. We never have had that mentality here. But, but as far as this integrated church thing goes, common sense would tell you that a 5-year-old and a 50-year-old are not on the same intellectual level And you say, well, you know, good things will happen if we just stick together. You know, Dr. Lee Robertson, that great preacher of yesteryear, said he owes everything he became to a godly Sunday school teacher. Don Jasmine, who has preached in this pulpit, credits his Sunday school teacher growing up in the fact he was put in a class with kids his age and taught on a level he understood as the best thing that could ever happen to him. Um, You know, so much of the philosophy of the integrated church movement is Puritan. In doctrine, Puritanism is basically, if you take it to the nth degree, it's a work salvation quite often. And we're talking about a group of people over here, this integrated movement. It's New Evangelical, by the way. It's, it's a fad. It's the latest thing. But these are people who are not only confused on what the church is, they're confused on Israel, they're confused on the Great Commission, and they have skewed that line between the local church and the family. And it's exactly what I'm talking about here. Now, there are a lot of issues there that I could deal with on them, but, but they think they've rediscovered some truth, and honestly, it's another fad. These fads, they come and go. Stick with the local church. Paul says it's a pillar and ground of the truth. Let me just say this. I'll insert it here. There are a lot of things I could have gone to seed on and over the years gotten off course on, but I've stuck with the local church. I thank God for that. If you can do one thing between here and the end, it's stick with the local church. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. There's just something about God preserving truth within His local church that will help you to come out at the right place. And I thank God that I've just kind of just put my eggs in that basket. Well, look back in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Unless we understand the difference between the government, the home, and the church, there's going to be a lot of confusion. And we find an example of that here in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We find, uh, I guess, Saul, the king, okay, now we got government, he's the leader, but he's, he's got his nose in, into the church matters, spiritual matters. And he, he offers up this sacrifice. He plays junior Levite to something he wasn't supposed to do. And Samuel, the prophet, comes across the smoldering offering here, and in... Uh, 
Verse number 11, Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God. What was so foolish about what he did? Well, he got out of his jurisdiction. See what I'm saying there? You know, here's Jesus Christ, God in flesh. But you don't see him offering up some sacrifice at any time during his earthly ministry. He knew better than that. He stayed within his boundaries. Now, when the government comes and they check out the books of a church like this without provocation or reason... They are out of their boundaries. They're just harassing. They've overstepped their boundaries. When a church steps in and tells a parent or a family how to run that home and what to do, we have overstepped our boundaries. Now, let me just say, I'm to preach the Bible. I'll preach truth. I'll preach doctrine. I'll preach the Word of God. But I'm not here to tell you how, how you ought, ought to do all this stuff, how you ought to raise your kids, how you ought to educate your kids. That's your business. Where you live... That's your business. The house you buy, the car you drive, that's your business. May I say that to everybody here? That's none of your business when anybody else drives or where they live or how far of a commute that is or whether that was God's will or not. What they possess, what they wear, that's their business. Very important that we understand that and we don't overstep our boundaries. We stay within our jurisdiction. Now, if you're a member of this church and you have a visible ministry within this church, you, you automatically represent this church. There are certain things scripturally that you ought to understand that uh, I ought to go by. Otherwise, you're bad representation, and then it does become my business. But if, if there's nothing ungodly or unscriptural about what you're doing, I need to keep my nose out of it. And we will keep our nose out of it. It's not our jurisdiction. Now, heavy justice people... Squirm with this. Those who are strong in the justice department, they struggle with this. There, there are folks, they, just, they, want, they think it's their calling to fix everybody's problems or, or fix what everybody's doing wrong, tell them what they ought to do, run people. It's not our business. It's not our business. You know, there are things as a pastor, honestly, I see folks do and I wince. I, I go, <laughs> I can't look. But it's not my call. It's yours. If you want my opinion, come ask me. Otherwise... I, I'm not going to get involved. It's, it's, it's your call. It's domestic call. And by the way, that goes for every member here. Let's keep our noses out of everybody else's domestic decisions. It is their call. It's not your place to second guess, again, how they're going to educate their kids, uh, what they buy, how they dress, what their activities are, what they eat, where they go, where they live, all of that. It makes for a very judgmental church. We will bite and devour each other. That's the expression used in the Bible. Bottom line is, folks are going to leave over things like that. They're going to get offended because they're going to think we're a judgmental church. Now, let me just say this. Before you get offended because somebody's talking about what you bought and where you live, and uh, before you get offended over that, just consider the source, okay? If a donkey kicks you, consider the source, right? All right? May I say that again? Consider the source. In Luke 17, Jesus said it's impossible, but that offenses should come. <laughs> They're going to come. 
And, and so let's not be a Pharisee ourselves and get offended at those things. Because the attitude we, we take on at such a time is just as bad as the gossip that they're saying about us. You know, Jesus said in, in John 16 that uh, we're going to be offended in the last days in many ways, but that doesn't mean we just quit a church. Um, bottom line, though, is don't be talking about things that aren't any of your business because you're going to offend somebody. Please, please, please mind your own business. Everybody needs to stay within their jurisdiction. Would it be okay for the United States to invade Canada? You say, well, no, that wouldn't be right. No, it wouldn't be right. So is it okay for the government to invade your home? Or is it okay for the home to invade the church or vice versa? Bottom line is don't cross that line. We talked recently about Pharaoh, the king of, of Egypt, requiring that all baby boys be put to death. Pharaoh crossed the line there, didn't he? Now he has his nose as the government into the home in an area it shouldn't be. And by the way, with, with China's forced abortion law, they've gone over the line. One child per family, everything else we put to death. Well, I would move. I wouldn't live there. The government has overstepped its boundaries. By the way, the preamble of every single state says something about one nation under God. Government's not a, uh, an independent entity within itself that can get around God. And does it bother you when government oversteps its boundaries? It should. It bothers me. I believe it bothers God. But it, it also bothers God when we overstep our boundaries. Something we need to be very careful of. Look, if you wouldn't, First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Is there some individual or, or some family that is doing something that you don't agree with? What should you do? Mind your own business. Plain and simple. Don't even talk about it with somebody else. That gets back to that person, by the way. And that causes trouble. That causes dissension. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 15, it says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Look at the company that a busybody's in here. Murderer, thief, evildoer. This busybody thing is pretty, pretty serious. Let's say two men get into a car and they're driving and, and they're both church members here and one man starts talking to the other and says, uh, that thing pastor's doing, I don't, I don't know about that. And uh, the, the, the way this is being run in the church, uh, I, I don't know about that. I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that. Well, the problem with that fella is, first of all, he's gone to the wrong source. Secondly, he's a coward. He ought to come to the right source, right? And thirdly, he's out of his jurisdiction. By the way, the more you are a leader or you lead in, in many areas, the greater danger you run of doing this, of getting out of your jurisdiction, out of your boundaries, be careful. God puts that person in with murderers and thieves here. Look, if you would, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Maybe it's a couple ladies. And one lady says to another in the church, well, I, I don't think so-and-so should deal with their kids that way or raise their kids that way, or I don't agree with them living where they live, and, and whatever it might be. Well, ma'am, it's none of your business, plain and simple. Don't even talk about it. It undermines. It causes division. Uh, you know, we'd be a whole lot better off going to a nursing home trying to cheer some people up if we got that much time, or, or going out on visitation. I mean, let's use our time wise. Let's redeem our time. In First Timothy chapter 5, 
And in verse number 13, it says, And with all they learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. It's like enough, enough, enough. The devil loves that, by the way. God says enough of that. Because you're going to offend somebody, and that's a shame. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we started our text, and we'll close. Let's stay within our jurisdiction. Let's not get outside of our boundaries. In 1 Thessalonians 4, and verse number 11, remember it says that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business. Those two words, own business. If we're going to have God's blessings, if we're, going to go, if we're going to have God's power, we're going to have to know our boundaries, and we're going to have to be careful not to overstep them. May God add His blessings to this thought. Let's close in prayer here, shall we?